0: If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
2: Feeling a little bored? Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit Hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers.
3: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: Welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. What do we actually know about the Vikings' exploration of North America in the 10th and 11th centuries? And what does the fierce battle that has raged over the legacy of these voyages tell us about modern America? Gordon Campbell, Emeritus Professor and Fellow in Renaissance Studies at the University of Leicester considers these questions in his new book, Norse America. Here, in conversation with our production editor Spencer Mizen, Gordon discusses some of the most remarkable voyages of discovery in human history.
1: Gordon, uh, your new book tells a story not only of the um, Norse exploration of North America in the tenth and eleventh centuries, but also of the the battle that's been fought over those explorations over the past two or three hundred uh, years. Why is the matter of what the Norse did or did not do in North America a millennium ago? Why is it proved such a
4: bone of contention? Ah, uh, well, in part it's an argument about about primacy. Um, there's a difference between. Um, the way Europeans think about this and, and the way settler societies like America think about it. Um, when you or I um, look at Stonehenge or a Scot looks at Scarabray, um, we, we see our own remote past, even though the chances of our being related to the people in Stonehenge or Scarabray are, are nil. we we Ours is a past of place but when when most Americans look at um, uh, the Chaco Canyon ruins, the wonderful uh, relics of of a civilization in New Mexico, um they don't see themselves there they say ah oh, that's that's a Native American site, very interesting because they they see their own past in terms of the continents from which their ancestors came. They see themselves as Asian-Americans or African-Americans or Hispanic-Americans um, or more specific hyphenated identities, Polish-Americans, Irish-Americans, and so on. Now, the, the dominant empowered group um, are of English descent. So, they just call themselves Americans. They, they are the real Americans in, in their their minds. And Scandinavian-Americans are now part of that mainstream. They just call themselves Americans. But in the past, they weren't. They were marginalized. Um, they were relatively poor. Uh, they were hyphenated. So, the contention that the Norse were the first Europeans to set foot on America raised them up in the pecking order and so entitled them to a higher standing than their present state and the the second side of that question it It is is confessional. It's a claim for the descendants of North European Protestants, because we're we're talking wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, having priority over South European Catholics, whose hero was, of course, Columbus. Um, The... The adoption of Columbus as the, the discoverer is a related story, and it's equally thin. Uh, Columbus never conceived of the existence of North America, much less discovered it. He denied all, all until his dying day that he would discovered a new continent. He insisted he discovered Asia. And the hard fact that the first European settlers in America were Spanish— um remains an uncomfortable truth for many Europeans of North European descent. So they celebrate the the Mayflower, uh, because that's that's English settlers, but the fact that that St. Augustine in Florida was established sixty years before that, there's complete silence about that. So so that that's why it matters. The Norse Give, give legitimacy and and status to to people of of North European descent.
1: And so, when did the theory that the the Norse may have settled North America first? When did that first emerge? And and, and on what evidence was this theory
4: based originally? It was um, it was initially uh, it it pops up um, in in the late eighteenth century uh, as one of a um, a host of, of, of theories. Um, it pops up in the late 18th century, but there were many other theories current at the time, not including um, Columbus, oddly enough, uh, because Columbus didn't become important until America became independent and they needed a non-English um, person to have, have discovered it. Um, but it really comes to the fore, um, the, the Norse theory, when a bloke called Rasmus Andersen, or Andersen in, in, in Norwegian, uh, published a book called America Not Discovered by Columbus, and that was in 1874. And it lent powerful support both to the historic contention that the Norse visited New England, repeatedly from the 10th to the 14th centuries and to the ancestral Teutonic link between the Norse and the New England cultural elite. And, and that's what did it. Um, they had been given um access to the uh the sagas um in in the generation before and the sagas could be read as as historical accounts of the um of the Norse having discovered America and and that settled that.
1: Now, can you give us some examples of, of the battles that were played out between sort of proponents of the idea that Columbus had got there first and those who supported the idea that the Norse had got there first? How how was that played out over the following decades?
4: Well, the the interesting period comes. Uh, it on the 400th anniversary of Columbus's um, so-called discovery, so 1492, 1892. And um, it was decided that there should be uh, a world's Columbian exposition in Chicago. Um, And... They uh, commissioned um, three uh, replicas of Columbus's ships um, in Spain, and they were to be uh, sailed across uh, across the Atlantic, just like Columbus did, uh, only landing in in uh, New York rather than in the Caribbean. Um, uh, but a funny thing happened because. Uh, a ninth century Viking ship um, called the Gokstad uh, ship had been discovered three years previously, the Norwegians were invited to make a replica of that ship. So, we had the prospect of uh, Columbus's three ships sailing the Atlantic and uh, a Viking ship sailed the Atlantic. Now, it turned out that the uh, three Columbus ships weren't seaworthy. And they had to be towed across the Atlantic, whereas the, uh, the Viking ship uh, was seaworthy and it came across the Atlantic with, with sail and oar propelling it. And the Scandinavians took huge advantage of this, and and represented the uh, uh, the Spanish sailors as 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 weaklings, uh, sailing unsailable ships, whereas the the Norsemen uh, were were the mighty sailors, battling the seas in an open ship and sailing successfully there. So. When when the, the Norse ship arrived in Chicago, it became a, a cuckoo in the Colombian nest. Um, and they took full advantage of the publicity to trumpet the notion that the Norwegians had been there first. And that's when you get the arguments about... Should America have a a Columbus Day, uh, or should it have a a, a Leif Erikson Day to celebrate the fact that uh, the Americans, uh, the Norse, had had got there first? that was the high point, and as it develops into the twentieth century, um, the the theories narrow, if you like, uh, and are focused on on local artifacts r- rather than being a, a a national vision of an America discovered by the Norse. So this
1: Scandinavian boat it, it provokes. Quite a lot of hostility, didn't it, among some American Catholics and Irish Catholic communities? Is that is, is that correct?
4: It is. It is. Um, when uh, when the. Um the Viking ship uh, started to sail from the coast up the Erie Canal to, to get to Chicago, um, well, first of all, the, the crew were arrested and they said th- this was all because New York police were Irish Catholics. So they presented it as a confessional argument. Um, and as they proceeded up the canal, there were various hecklers on the bridges um, throwing stones at them and shouting at them for being, uh, representing the, 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 the Church of Rome, which was trying Trying to take over, it became a, a religious battle, if you like. Um, that um, abated in some measure by the time it got to Chicago, um, and and the hecklers had been silenced. But there was still a, a sense of um, hostility, which was more openly felt then than 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 now, um, between um, Catholics and Protestants in America, and who who had the prior claim and who should be on top. Now you write that um, the idea that the, the
1: Norse, um, quote unquote, discovered North America was important for Scandinavian settlers, which is kind of understandable, I guess. But you all, you also point out that it was important too for um, elites on the east coast of
4: America. Now, why was that? Um, well, th- there are separate arguments for the east coast elites and the um, and and the Midwest. Um, In in the Midwest, um, places like Minnesota and and Wisconsin were settled by poor farmers from Scandinavia. So, for them, the discovery of a a runestone that they believed to be genuine um, that showed that the Norse had arrived there in 1362, that suddenly vindicated them. And because the runestone had the letters A-V-M, Ave Virago Maria, um, uh, Hail to the Virgin Mary, that meant they were good Catholics, so the Catholics grabbed it. And those are an entirely different set of reasons from the ones on the East Coast elites. Um, they They were wasps, they were of English descent, Um, as they imagined. So a writer like Charles Kingsley, that we know from Westward Ho and the Water Babies, um, said that the um, the Anglo-Saxons, which were a female race, required impregnation by the great male race, the Norse. So the vacant earth in the form of an unpopulated America needed to be seeded by these this, these Anglo-Saxons fortified by Viking blood, and that was the vindication for... Um for the East Coast elites championing the Vikings. And if you hear in that a kind of racial narrative that you find yourself uncomfortable with, then welcome aboard, because that is the the origin of a, a racial narrative um, that has had um, very um, damaging uh, articulations in the, in the centuries come in, in the decades to come.
1: Now, you um, mentioned the, the sagas um, a little bit earlier. What do they tell us about um, Norse voyages to an exploration of North America? And, and should we give
4: them much credence? Um, well, the sagas are literature, though they've not always been read as literature. And there is a, a tendency to look in literature for uh, for truth, Um the classic example of this is, if I can offer an analogy, um, is, is Homer's Iliad. And in the 19th century, um, uh, people assumed it was true, uh, that there had been armed conflicts in, in, uh, the, in the area about 1,200 years BCE. Um, there was no archaeological evidence, and uh, a, a, an archaeologist called Schliemann went off to the coast of Anatolia and he dug, trying to find Troy. And he found some burnt wood and said, aha, we have evidence of a, of a fire. Um, he discovered precious objects, and he said, this must be Priam's treasure. So, in other words, he read the whole thing literally because he wanted to prove that the Iliad was true. Now, it it's not true. Um, archaeologists no longer believe that. Um, there may be elements of place, but there are no, there's no transmission of names and actions of individuals. The sagas are exactly the same. They describe, they describe journeys, and these descriptions are often taken to be logbooks, um, and they, they give measurements, and people have tried to plot the measurements uh, of actual voyages by named historical individuals. Um, it's possible that there was a chieftain called Erik the the Red, uh, around whom legends accumulated, It's possible, or it's getting a bit unlikely, that he had a son called uh, Leif Erikson, Leif the Lucky, as he's he's known. Um, The notion that the other members of his family were historical um, is 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 tough to to defend. Um, There are in Greenland um, many records of names. Uh, of people who lived in Greenland, and not one of the names in the sagas has ever appeared in the historical record. So, their voyages to Greenland and then lands to the west of Greenland, as described in the sagas, may never have happened. Um, Now, it's possible, of course, that these characters did exist. You you can't tell, and that the sagas preserve shards of, of memory. In other words, these characters in the sagas exist in the, the liminal space between fact and fiction, and that's, that's very uncomfortable for most people. Um, that's why there's been an impulse to say they're real people and um you know statues are erected of uh, of of uh, leif in in various places as if he were a real person there are no statues of Erik um uh, the red um he he was a, a serial killer at best um so no no one would want to to promote him though oddly enough um in in greenland in in the national museum um there's a sign that says Greenland is of course part of North America. We speak the same language as, as our counterparts in uh in, in Canada. Um and the first European to discover uh North America or to, to arrive in North America uh was not Leif the Lucky, um, but Eric uh the red, because he came to Greenland and, and that that's what we are. So the, the sagas sit there. They're they're fiction, they have maybe bits of fact in them, but separating uh, fact, um, trying to identify those historical shards, is an impossible task.
0: Still to come on the History Extra podcast.
4: But the real prize would be the discovery um, of a site on the North American mainland. That's what people are looking for. Um, not because it matters in terms of the North, but because it matters in terms of uh, Americans wanting to establish that link.
3: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging
1: So, what do we actually know about the North, Norse presence in North America in the tenth and eleventh centuries? What What is the archaeology telling us?
4: We know that the Norse um, arrived in in Greenland um, in the late tenth century, and um, we know that um, fairly and and that they lived there for five hundred years. They disappeared mysteriously in the late fifteenth century shortly after they arrived, they began to travel in the High Arctic, in in what is now the Canadian Eastern Arctic. So, there are, for example, um, three Tula sites. The Tula are the ancestors of today's Inuit uh, on Ellesmere Island, way up in the the north of, of, uh, of Canada. And excavations there have, have revealed all kinds of Norse artefacts, mostly datable to the late 13th century. Um, chess pieces, chain mail, knife blades, there's all kinds of things. And these aren't trade uh, goods, they're, they're things that were on a ship. So, in other words, there, there was either a shipwreck or there was an attack on a Norse ship in well into what is now Canada in the late 13th century. Um, where they'd gone for hunting and possibly for, for trading. That, that much is clear from the archaeological record. Moving south, um, the one solid site um, further south is in, in, on the northern tip of Newfoundland, and uh, it's, it's um, called Lanso Meadows. Um, It was discovered in the 1960s, which was when my interest in all of this uh, occurred. And it turns out to have been um, a kind of halfway house or a a, a point where they could, an, an intermediate place, a transit camp, if you like where boat crews could fix their ships and and and, and rest. Um, there are three um, longhouses on the site, uh, so three crews, um, and then there are sheds beside the longhouses where they could keep um, slaves and they could keep um, uh, supplies of that kind of thing. And the evidence is that the site was occupied for about 10 years around the year 1000. There's no graveyard, there's no church, Um, so it clearly wasn't a a long settlement. But if it was a transit camp, it means that they were going somewhere else. And that raises the question of a colony on the North American coast. Now, no archeological evidence has ever been found of a colony. Um, But the one hint is that this site in northern Newfoundland Has three butternut shells. One of them is is carved. And butternuts don't grow in Newfoundland and have never grown in Newfoundland, nor would the currents carry butternut shells, um, butternuts to Newfoundland. So, in other words, the people that were in Newfoundland, the Norse people, must have been in a place where butternut trees grew. Um, That could be the St. Lawrence Valley it could be um, uh, the Maritime Provinces of Canada, or it could be New England. So it is likely that somewhere on those coasts, there is a short-lived Norse settlement where butternut trees grew, um, but it's never been found, and so there's no archeology span to support the contention that they were ever there. The one exception is a coin. Uh, it's called the Maine penny and it was found um on the on the coast of of maine uh, it's a real penny uh, it's it's tenth century um It's filled with with problems. It it had a little circle cut out of the corner of it, so it was clearly worn around the neck. Um, And those that want America to have been settled by the Vikings say, aha, this this is the proof. They were there. Uh, But in fact, it was traded down um, from the coast of, of Labrador. It came probably through Greenland. So there is no archaeological evidence that the Vikings were ever in America.
1: Do we know anything about the leaders of this expedition?
4: Not, not a thing. If we knew that uh, that Leif was uh, Leif Erikson was a historical person, then we could make him the leader. Um, all we know is that is when Greenland was settled, when the Um, when the the Eastern Arctic was explored, when uh, Lancel Meadows in Newfoundland was settled. But we we cannot connect that responsibly with the sagas. So to say um, Leif Erikson lived here, uh, it goes beyond what any responsible historian historian can say.
1: What were the chief challenges of establishing a settlement on the other side of the Atlantic given the technology and resources that were available to to the Norse explorers?
4: Um, The the, the principal difficulty uh, was was in numbers. Um, If I can offer a military analogy, it's it's all about ever-thinning supply lines. Um, The Icelandic settlements in Greenland um, they were there for five hundred years, but they never amounted to more than two and a half to three thousand people. That's not many people. Um, in terms of expanding further to the west, well, the the Norse site in northern Newfoundland could accommodate about sixty people. That that's not not a big number. Um, if they did arrive in somewhere in North America, on the coast of Canada or the United States, of course they would find that it was already populated, and the locals may have taken a dim view of, of uh, these strange people wanting to, uh, to settle on their land. So they, they may have, been, have have been driven out by, by the locals. Um, further north, the, the attraction of, uh, uh, of the mainland, if you like, was, was, was different. Um, in, in Labrador, um, there's no sign of a settlement, but um, Labrador had timber. And Greenland um only had uh, dwarf trees it it still only has has very short um trees. I've been to the national arboretum in southern Greenland and there's there's nothing more than than twenty feet high um so they 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 clearly traveled to 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 the mainland to get timber for housing and for ships and that kind of thing but but that's not for settlement purposes that's a different thing altogether.
1: And in terms of feats of seamanship, how impressive uh, was the feat of of getting across the Atlantic to North America?
4: Well, um, they didn't all make it. Um, The... I mean, in 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 the story of settling Greenland, for example, uh, twenty five ships set out; fourteen ships make it. You know what happened to the others? Well, they either they either sank, um, or they or they turned back. Um, and the answer to the disappearance of the Greenland colony may well be that um, the ships, um, you know, had some kind of catastrophe befell them, and and they they couldn't proceed. So. The, there, there's the issue of the ships in 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 the North Atlantic, which is not a, a is is not a calm place to be uh, for for much of the year. Um, the second thing is that the, the Norse didn't have maps, um, and they couldn't calculate longitude, um, but they they were very good um, at uh, at calculating latitude um and there it's interesting to see when when they're going um from Iceland to Greenland for example um they they they've got a route because they can follow a line of 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 latitude um there is um Uh, There's also a primitive sort of compass uh, that that was found uh, uh, some years ago, which is now in the National Museum in in Denmark, which suggests they had some instrumentation. But the the hardest fact, of course, is they didn't know where they were going. Um, There was no... Um, pull towards America. The, the America was not their destiny. Uh, it, it was where the dog trail petered out, if you like. Um, it, it was the, the 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 limit of of expansion. So it, it's not a case of um, of Vikings going in stages across the the North Atlantic um, to their destiny. It's a case of farmers. They were peasant farmers. They weren't warriors. Um, escaping, well, maybe looking for new land, but escaping uh, religious conflict, because this new religion of Christianity came along and that that caused problems, Uh, escaping battles between warring chieftains, they were just looking for a quiet life so they could farm. They had, they had boats that were immensely seaworthy, but they were, they were open boats. They could be swamped, and, and, and they, they were swamped on, on occasion. So, in a way, it's a little miracle that they made it us um, uh, all um, across to the, the North Atlantic, uh, across to the North American shore. But they, they did make it. The, the notion that they were somehow pulled there is is an American fantasy, so if you um, if you look in front of the the wonderful cathedral in in Reykjavik. Um, there's a statue of of Leif Erikson, uh, the discoverer of America, and if you go around the back of it and and look to see, you know, where did this statue came come from? Um, it was paid for by the Americans um, because the Americans see discovering America as the point of it all, but the uh, the Icelanders have no reason to to think that way. Similarly, in Greenland, um, in the place where Erik the Red's uh, uh, Fahm, uh, was is, is deemed to be, if he existed. Um, there's another statue of Leif Erikson um, put up by Norwegian-Americans uh, who, again, wanted all to be a story about America. But for the Norse, it wasn't a story about America. Um, it was a story about the settlement of Iceland and the settlement of Greenland. And it, it really stops there for them. Do
1: you believe that what
4: um we've discovered so far
1: and our current knowledge is the tip of the iceberg? Is there a lot more out there to be discovered? Do you think about what the Norse accomplished in North America a thousand years ago?
4: There may be more sites um uh, there was the possibility of a site in in uh, in southern Newfoundland that was discovered uh, some years ago. There may be trading posts on Baffin Island, and that would be exceedingly... interesting were that to happen, because that would establish that the Norse weren't just hunters, they were they were traders as well. Um, they were in the ivory business. Um, but those sites, for various reasons, um, have not been followed up. Um, I hope they will be someday. But the real prize would be the discovery um, of a site on the North American mainland. That, that's what people are looking for, um, not because it matters in terms of the Norse, but because it matters in terms of uh, Americans wanting to establish that link. And that link right now cannot be proven. Um, there are lots of attempts to prove it. Um, I, I was in Nova Scotia a couple of years ago where there's another bogus runestone, uh, and I managed to walk on the Leif Erikson Trail, and uh, that was the trail where, where the great man himself had uh, uh, wandered into the town and, and uh, discovered North America. So there's, there's all kinds of fantasy attached to it, and what they would really love is a real archaeological site. So to what extent has fake archaeology
1: been an issue in, in our endeavours to establish what really happened?
4: Um, Fake archaeology is a... Well, it's helpful to think of it as a spectrum. There are real artifacts that have been tendentiously interpreted as Norse so there's a, a 17th century windmill near near Newport in Rhode Island which is said to be a Norse church now it's a real artifact but it's not what they say it is in fact it's a copy of a of, of a windmill uh, near Lemington Spa um, and uh, but they say it's a church um, there are also real Norse orte- artifacts that have been planted by fraudulently. So the Beardmore relics, which were is a sword and an axe head, uh, said uh, to have been found in the Canadian province of Ontario, um, in fact, weren't from there at all. They came from uh, the collection of a 19th century Norwegian. um, And so they they were real artefacts, but they were fake discoveries. Um, Further along, there are fake relics on a large scale, um, the rune stones that crop up all over America in areas of Scandinavian settlement and the Vinland map now at Yale. And those are um, some of them are made for the simple purpose of deceit um some are creating a an imagined bit of evidence for for a past that they really know is true and there isn't any evidence so they they make the evidence so the, it it matters as as part of of the argument um, but in fact the fake runestones are uh, they're historically important not because they document the Norse but because they document the thinking of Scandinavian Americans in the 19th century and their their search for legitimacy and their search for an identity so i'm not i'm not inclined to be very hard on them um they they're not very sophisticated frauds um but they are frauds and they play large in the imagination of those that that want america to have been discovered by the norse
1: and finally given um the way that Native Americans have sometimes been written out of the story oh, <laughs> yes how how important is it that we get this history right that we we, we put out the facts rather than the fiction
4: the um, various attempts um, to show that the Norse and and indeed other claimants arrived in America first um, are all about displacing l- the legitimacy of, of Native Americans Um Indeed, some go so far as to say um, that the Native Americans aren't Native Americans at all. Uh, they, uh, they, came, uh, they, they came from Europe. They're the lost tribes of Israel uh, and, and that kind of thing. But throughout the narratives, there is a sense, um, in, in, particularly in America, that the Native Americans are um, illegitimate occupiers of the territory. Um, and that they're recent. So there are there are mounds, for example, uh, very interesting mounds. I've climbed a few of them myself uh, in America. They were clearly built by a sophisticated um, uh, society. And when the Europeans arrived and they looked at these mounds, said, well, it clearly couldn't be the Indians because they're lazy and unimaginative. Uh, So it must have been a previous society that was a great society. And the present uh, indigenous Americans are newcomers. Um, So there's a there's a deep racist myth that seeks to justify um, everything from the indian removal act um uh, that the, the displaced uh, indians on on the coast to to various attempts to present the the, the locals as savages um as opposed to civilized um e- europeans um and that that's that's not just harmless nonsense it's pernicious nonsense because it 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 produces a narrative that 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 legitimizes the expropriation of American lands and and indeed the dignity of of Native Americans. So I don't regard the North story as an entirely harmless one at all. I, I think it's a central plank in the racist marginalization of Native Americans who deserve much better. They did not ask to be conquered.
0: That was Gordon Campbell. North America, the story of a founding myth is out now published by Oxford University Press. You can find plenty more on Viking history at historyextra.com. And if you're interested in medieval history more generally, then make sure you sign up for our medieval newsletter at historyextra.com forward slash newsletters. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. Tomorrow, we'll have an episode on the power players of the Italian Renaissance.